Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I am your host, Joel Cherney. In this special follow-up episode, in honor of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, I again speak with Rich Brownstein, author of Holocaust Cinema Complete, a history and analysis of 400 films with a teaching guide, published in 2021 by McFarland. In this interview, Rich lists the 15 greatest Holocaust films from his longtime study. He uses the categories he developed for his book and chooses three films from each group. I hope our conversation is both interesting and informative. Welcome again, Rich Brownstein. Welcome back, Rich. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, Joel. I am speaking with Rich Brownstein, who is the author of the book, Holocaust Cinema Complete, a history and analysis of 400 films with a teaching guide. We actually, this is a follow-up interview. We discussed the book recently, but now we want to talk a little bit more about some of the films. So Rich has graced our presence again to um, talk about films that he feels are particularly good. One of the points of the book is to include teaching material and, and information, and so I think it's important to uh, discuss the films more specifically. We weren't able to do that in the original interview, but with the International Holocaust Remembrance Day coming up soon when we're doing this recording, we felt that it was a good idea to do so. So with that, um, I'm looking forward to talking with you further. Rich, how are you again? Doing great uh, here in Israel. It's a little cold, but uh, not like I think you're experiencing uh, so the, I, in my book, I have a list of the 52 films that I recommend. Um, there are more that I like, but, uh, the 52 that I, that I feel good enough that they aren't, um, redundant. Um, and of those at the end of that chapter nine of my book, I list the top, uh, 15 films. And the way I got to 15 is because, uh, to recap for those who didn't hear the first um, interview, I break down Holocaust films into five categories. So four main categories, victim films, which are about uh, Jewish victims during the Holocaust, Gentile films, which is about Gentiles uh, who either hurt or helped Jews during the Holocaust. Survivor films, which is about Holocaust survivors after the Holocaust. And perpetrator films, which is about Nazis being hunted down after the Holocaust. And then there's a tangential uh, category uh, called tangential and miscellaneous for films that don't fit neatly into those four categories. So uh, Sophie's Choice and Glorious Bastards, where the protagonist wasn't Jewish, uh, there aren't any righteous 
but still they're undoubtedly Holocaust films or, or in cabaret where we have the pre, uh, pre-war pre uh, history. So uh, I picked three films from each of the five categories. I then ordered them how I would show and have shown them uh, in a, a college course uh, for uh, that's strictly about Holocaust films. Uh, and um, so they're not in order of greatness, but they're mostly um, based on where, where they fall in uh, the timeline of the Holocaust. So um, with that, uh, I can begin. If that sounds like. good. I think that's the best way to do it. I agree because we really want to reach out to educators with some of this information as part of this everything because that's part of the group you were aiming this book for. Great. So the first film that, that I would uh, show is called Conspiracy. Uh, it was uh, made in, in 2001 for television by uh, HBO. And um, it reenacts the Vonsey Conference, which was this famous conference that took place in January of 1942, where um, the, 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 uh, uh, the person who was really in charge of making sure that uh, Hitler's wishes were being carried out was Richard Heydrich, Reinhard Heydrich, uh, a detestable man who was ultimately assassinated uh, in Czechoslovakia. Um, And so he held this conference uh, to uh, bring in the German uh, military, judiciary, political, uh, and industrial branches and in an hour and a half, he, he didn't decide on the final solution. He told them, this is what we're doing. Auschwitz is being built. Um, this is what's going to happen to the Jews, whether you need them for labor or not, whether you think it's right or not, whether you think that, that this conforms with the German law, doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is you're going to participate in this or you're going to be on the next train. And... So the, the tension in the film is how Heydrich is able to get these people uh, to agree. And the cast is, uh, is unbelievable. It, it's, well, it's wonderful. Uh, Ke- Kenneth Branagh plays Heydrich and Stanley Tucci uh, plays Eichmann. Uh, and Colin Firth is in it too. Uh, and um, it, it, from a production standpoint, uh, they went back to the, to the, the villa in Vonsey. They filmed it there and they didn't take much longer than the actual uh, conference. There was one hidden transcript, which was used uh, to piece it together. Um, and it is um, a, a masterful uh, hour and a half of television. And uh, so uh, from an educational standpoint, you get a feeling there. You understand how uh, the final solution was mechanically organized. 
what's great about conspiracy is that it appears on a lot of the streaming services pretty regularly. So depending on your availability where you live, you may have the ability to see it pretty easily. Yes, uh, and and that is not true of all necessarily of all these films. Uh, the second film is very famous. Uh, it's Sophie's Choice. Um, the the it was it was made from a a novel uh, by uh, William Styron and um, starred Meryl Streep. It was it was mostly her her biggest breakout film. She'd already uh, been nominated, but this was and even one I think for best supporting in Kramer. But this was uh, a big film for her. Uh, she plays a, a Polish woman who, uh, a beautiful Polish woman who uh, is sent to Auschwitz because uh, of, her, of, she's suspected of being, of having aided the, the partisans. And she arrives with two children, her two, her two children. And uh, in the, uh, the titular scene, in the middle of the film, uh, which is the, the film is, is mostly uh, about her as a survivor in New York, but it, it's filled with flashbacks. Uh, she is offered this, uh, what has become a metaphor, Sophie's choice. Uh, she is to, she's given the option because she's Polish and not Jewish of choosing which one of her children will live. And um, it, it's a scene that is unforgettable and gripping. She, Meryl Streep learned Polish and German to do this part. She is, she purportedly got on her hands and knees uh, to beg uh, the director, Alan J. Pakula, to, uh, to uh, have the part. And um, it, it is, it's one of the greatest performances uh, of any kind in any film ever. Uh, and, uh, Kevin Klein co-stars um, and Peter McNichol, who has also had a, a, a very nice career. Um, <clears throat> it's not a big story, but it is um, it, it is a fabulously produced film um, and well worth the accolades. Uh, and it also they went out of their way. It was, it was one of the very first films, Western films that went out of their way to show. Um, Auschwitz. Uh, to, they, they had experts there, um, and um, they. It, it wasn't just that they slapped up um, barracks and said we're here. They 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 made it as realistic as they could, um, except for the tattooing, which was a little weird. But um, it, it's uh, it's a tough film. You don't need to know what's, what choice she made. Uh, and the other interesting thing about it is she has a silent scream in it, which is, uh, I, it could be an homage to um, Rod Steiger's performance in uh, The Pawnbroker. It, it is one of those movies, when they talk about unforgettable movies, that's an unforgettable movie. If you've never seen it, just be re remember, you're going to be haunted by it. So uh, next we have uh, a film about a righteous Gentile. Um, the, Raoul Wallenberg, until Schindler's List, was the most famous 
uh, righteous Gentile. Uh, there are uh, around the world, there are hundreds of monuments that uh, are have been made to to commemorate him. The United States Congressional Gold Medal was awarded to him in 2012. He saved thousands, tens of thousands of, of Jews uh, in uh, in Budapest. And uh, toward at the very uh, the, at, toward the end of the war, um, there have been a couple of films made about him. One of them was a mini series um, starring Richard Chamberlain, um, and uh, that was a little cheesy. This film uh, is called "Good Evening, Mr. Wallenberg," and uh, there's a Swedish name for it. Um, and it was made in 1990. Um, it's two hours and it doesn't glorify him. It doesn't make him uh, Schindler-like. It doesn't make him a hunk. Um, it, it, it shows the depravity of the uh, Nazis. It shows his humanity and the... Uh, Many of the moral um, uh, issues that the uh, Jews themselves had between themselves, and um, and it it shows how he it implies how he died that that the Soviets took him at the end of the war, and um, since then it's there's been more documentation that he he may have lived in a. It, he may have been imprisoned in the Soviet Union and died in, in the 1950s, but um, it's still a little unclear. Uh, but for those seeking a film about a righteous Gentile who saved many, many, many thousands of Jews um, and sacrificed everything for that, then this uh, Swedish film, Good Evening, Mr. Wallenberg, is a fine choice. I'm glad we're getting international with the films because it's important, and not just the United States and Britain, for example. We've gotten international films that are worth reaching out for. Yes, m many, most of the best are not American-made. So the next one, so so the next one I would show is called *The Last Butterfly*. It was made, also made in 1991. And uh, it's a, a co-production, it's in Czech, but it's a co-production of Czechoslovakia at the time, France and the UK. Um, it's a story that uh, of, of a performer, a clown, uh, who the Germans co-opt uh, because what they need from him is to have a show in Theresienstadt, the famous model concentration camp, uh, which was um, notorious for having been faked for the Red Cross. Uh, and they duped the Red Cross there during almost the entirety of the war. Uh, it, I've been there. Uh, it, it's, it's astounding. Uh, what they, how they were able to dupe the, the, the Red Cross. Uh, I don't know if it says more about the Germans or about the Red Cross. Uh, but 
So he wanted to have this performance of kids. Uh, they wanted to, uh, the Germans did. And uh, they told him he would be paid. Um, and he went there and he fell in love with the kids and did a great performance. And the question in the film is, what at the end, what's going to happen to those kids and what's going to happen to him? Um, his performance, they actually show the, the, the act. Um, and uh, it's a, an actor named Tom Cordenay. Um, and the act lives up to it. I mean, in a lot of cases, you have people talking about hype, uh, hyping a, a performance and act, and you don't actually, they, they, they don't show it or they don't deliver. Uh, I, I like resistance. Uh, you don't see the film resistance about Marcel Marceau. There's nothing in that that would make you believe that, that, that Jesse Eisenberg could have done anything that Marcel Marceau did. Uh, but here they deliver, and like in Cabaret, they deliver the performance that, that's hyped. Um, and the other point about this, which is really hard to miss if you're a, a scholar of film, which you are, Joel, is uh, obviously how this relates to Jerry Lewis's The Day the Clown Cried, where he attempted to do a film about a clown in Auschwitz. And uh, he, it, it was never seen. He withdrew it. Uh, it'll be shown. Uh, it'll be released from the National Archives, I think, in another year. Um, but it was bad. Uh, from that, which is Jerry Lewis's account. So here you have a good version of that. And I don't even know if that film could have been made if it, that is if The Last Butterfly could have been made had it not been for Jerry Lewis's failure. Um, but uh, that's the reference point for it. And you could also think of Jojo Rabbit when you want to see a, a, a bad version of a comical uh Holocaust film and then see the last butterfly and you'll see a good version of it. Yeah, I agree. The Jerry Lewis film is, is infamous. I'm going to use that word partly because nobody's ever seen it. it. We can only go by stills and a few basic pieces of information about it. So it will be interesting when it comes out because it will be something people will watch, not for good necessarily, but just to see, just to examine it after all the hype over the years about it, given that a lot of film people know about it. Uh, okay, so keeping on our <clears throat> non-American uh, non-American movie rant, um, the next film is called The Counterfeiters, which um, won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar. It was made in 2007, and it stars Karl Markovics, um, who was a, a petty forger, uh, he plays one, and this is a this is a true story. Uh, also, um, he 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 plays somebody who was a, a petty criminal who is arrested, um, and ends up in Auschwitz uh, in, in Mauthausen, and uh, he becomes. He paints portraits of the Nazis, so they see that he's good at, at that. And then there's a project that the um, Nazis have where they're counterfeiting um, billions of 
British sterling and American dollars and other currency uh, at a different camp. And it was a real, uh, it, it was at Sachsenhausen and it was called Operation Bernhard. And he was brought in, the, the commandant there, or the person who was in charge of that program was the one who arrested him originally. Uh, and um, so he's in charge of, of making this happen. And it's a question of, it's, of how much the Jews who are doing this help and how much they sabotage the program. Um, and if they're going to survive, it's also one of those fabulous film moments. It happens in, in a half dozen Holocaust films where you get to that moment at the end of the war when the Germans uh, realize that it's over and when they're scrambling to, to get a Star of David uh, and when uh, the Jews are liberated and how they react. This film is great from beginning to end. Um, they, they, they tease at the beginning what the ending is going to be. And it's, it's wonderful from beginning to end and well-deserving of the Academy Award. Well, it's great that there are films that have better endings than other. I mean, better is not, I don't mean that word. I mean, uplifting, more uplifting, or it's nice to have that as well. We don't want to, I mean, unfortunately, the Holocaust is not something you can write, you can make films about that are going to always be, usually be uplifting in the same way. But it's great that you gave us an example. So the next film is um, a Hungarian, UK, German production called Fateless from 2005. Uh, and it follows a young man. Uh, the actor is named Marcel Negi. Uh, from his um, Budapest home, uh, childhood, uh, and that they show him outliving the um, Holocaust. And it's, a, it's an autobiographical story too. Uh, he goes to Auschwitz briefly and then Buchenwald. And um, it, it is uh, beautifully shot, beautifully scored, beautifully acted. There, there's nothing, uh, there, there, there's no great plot here no great twists, uh, nothing to uh, worry about other than is this kid going to survive? Um, we don't have any bank heists or uh, anything else. Just is this really great kid going to, how's he going to do it? And how's he going to do it without being a jerk? And he's never a jerk. And you often see in these films that to survive, you had to be ruthless. And you don't see that here. You, you just see great filmmaking. Uh, and we're going to see him again, although he's, he's largely silent in another film. He's been in three films, and two of them are, are amongst my, my, my top recommended films. Uh, and, and he hasn't, so he's, he's, he's a great, he, he, picks, the, he pick, picks them really well. And what was that one called again? That's called Fateless. Fate, as in fate? Fateless, F-A-T-E-L-E-S-S, -S, Fateless, 
That's 2005. I wanted to make sure about that because I wasn't sure if you were saying Fateless or Faithless. So I wanted to make no, sure. Faithless. Most of the titles are obvious when we get one like this. Yeah, I know. Make sure we get it right. Sure. And, and obscure. Uh, so if I'm, it, I, I'm not, so as you can tell from the succession of these films, we, we started with explaining the Holocaust through conspiracy and then uh, we got deep into Auschwitz briefly in Sophie's Choice, and then we we get into the camps. We're we're we increasingly been getting into the camps, um, and uh, and now we get to the greatest Holocaust film ever made, um, just because it is as deep as you're going to get into the camps, uh, and so it's the last camp film, and that's the Gray Zone which was made in 2001. Um, it was made by Tim Blake Nelson, the actor, who uh, is known mostly for his Coen Brothers appearances, although he has a film that just came out called Old Henry, where he was an executive producer and uh, stars in it. And it's a lot of fun, and he's very good in it. Um, he, he wrote the play. He then turned the play into... Uh, a movie starring uh, the only way he could he could find get it get it financed reasonably was to get his buddies to star in it with him. So uh, he he got David Arquette and and, and Steve Buscemi and uh, Harvey Keitel came on uh, as an actor and an executive producer and a lot of actors who you'd recognize, uh, including his wife. Uh, who you would recognize and uh, Mir Servino and many others. Uh, and it tells the story of uh, uh, the revolt at Birkenau toward the end of the war, where two out of four of the crematorium were destroyed. And by the Sando Commando, the people who manned the crematorium from beginning to end, who led people in, led them to the showers, pulled them out of the showers, uh, harvested the bodies and uh, cremated them and hauled away the ashes. Uh, it is, there, there's no music in it, no soundtrack, uh, but, and, and, and there are no accents. People, the, the, the Jews speak as they speak, um, but it is uh, great in every way and it is harrowing and it is difficult to watch, uh, but it, is, it gets greater with each screening. Um, and, um, uh, that's, and I've written a lot about it and talked a lot about it. And, uh, if you want to know more about that in particular, there was an article in JTA last year that was, uh, one of their top read articles about where I have an interview with Tim Blake Nelson and have him explain it, uh, his thoughts behind some of it. And I'll just tell you one brief story that. Um, the film was uh, admired so much by Steven Spielberg that he wanted to distribute it uh, by DreamWorks. Uh, but DreamWorks said that it was too small for them and that it would always be compared um, to Schindler's List one way or the other. So that didn't happen, but um, it is a great film. It is the greatest film. It's great that so many of the films you're talking about don't show Jews or 
Holocaust uh, survivors and other people as passive. Sometimes we get this view of passiveness, and that's not fair. And I think so many of the films that you're talking about show this, which I think is great. Yeah, uh, you get that. Uh, we, we have the triumph, in particular, the triumph of the spirit, which the William Defoe movie where he plays a boxer, and it, it's it's amazing. <laughs> he had to he had to kill box to death fifty people, and even through all that, he's passive. <laughs> but uh, it that that does seem to be. Um, Jews not fighting back, uh, uh, certainly no film, uh, certainly amongst the, 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 the champions of that were Schindler, was Schindler's List. Uh, which, if you which, haven't heard our previous interview, is not on this list and will never be on this list. It's not on this list, and the Jews were passive there and uh, were an afterthought in that film. Uh, even when they're walking into the gas chamber, believing that they're going to be gassed, a shower. Uh, so yes, uh, that's a great observation. And I, I didn't realize that that was what I was doing, but I, I think you're right. Uh, the next film is called 1945. Uh, and it was made in 2017, uh, Hungarian again. And uh, this is the film where Negi makes his appearance again. So the story is just after the Holocaust in 1945 in August, um, two Jews return to their home in, in rural uh, Hungary. Two Orthodox Jews on it. They, they arrive at the train station. They have a trunk that's filled. Nobody knows with what. And the, their family owned the pharmacy in the town. And the townspeople are sure that these two Jews are coming back to reclaim their property, which is the cornerstone of the town. Uh, everything revolves around it. And it's like high noon. It's shot in black and white. And the Jews just, they just, these two Jews just keep approaching the, the town and the town just keeps freaking out more. Um, and I'm not going to say what happens when they get there, but uh, obviously it's it's wonderful and uh, beautifully made. I, I uh, I've been gratified to see that so many people, uh, so many film lists, so many film festivals uh, have shown this film, and um, the uh, War Claims uh, Commission also participated in the funding of this. It's just a great film uh, th that um, uh, it's a must-see. Uh, the, the next film I, uh, I'm going to talk about is called The People versus Fritz Bauer. It was made in 2015. It is German. So there was a, a real man named Fritz Bauer, and he was a German Jew who was not in Germany during the Holocaust. Uh, he was a lawyer. And after the war, he went back to Germany and became a prosecutor in Germany. And uh, 
at a time that Nazis had insinuated themselves into the West German government, into the bureaucracy, he uh, very carefully led the uh, effort to identify them. And in addition to that, he uh, had information about both Eichmann, where he was in hiding, and Mengele. And the German government was not, the West German government was not going to allow this information to be passed on to the Mossad, the Israelis. And he risked his life to pass the information on. Um, he was threatened in a lot of ways. He was cantankerous. Uh, and his work led to what was called the Frankfurt Auschwitz trials between 1963 and 1965, where um, about 10% of the 8,200 German personnel who had served at Auschwitz-Birkenau were put on trial, which was a drop in the bucket, but still it was an important drop. Um, and um, it's, it's really well made. It's, there's another film um, that, that, that there are other films that are good um, about the denazification but this one is a great film um, about it. And, um, uh, and he died soon after, the, uh, in 1968. Uh, but it, it is great. And, and I'm gonna say, just to be clear, almost all the German films, Holocaust films, um, were really sturdy. You're not gonna find self-pity in those films. German filmmakers, for the most part, um, didn't fall into any trap. They were honest. A another film that stands out that's German made, which I recommend a lot, although it's not on this list, but I do recommend it, is uh, called Phoenix, uh, which was in 2014 and was a, a remake of, uh, of a film called Return from the Ashes. Uh, so there, there are plenty of good German Holocaust films. This, Joel? Is this is an important period in the post-Holocaust and the, the 60s, because early 60s. So it's interesting to get something that's got a different point of view other than Eichmann is one is a subject from that period that regularly comes up. But it's great that uh, we have other, other films that help to fill out the period a little better. And again, we don't have passive Jews. And, and, and I love that observation of yours. Uh, the next film is Israeli Made uh, from 2001, and it's called Made in Israel. Uh, it's made by director Ari Fulman, who has made a name for himself as a, a wonderful animator. He made the very controversial Israeli animated film called Waltz with Bashir, where he excoriated Israel for the first Lebanon war. You can go onto YouTube and um, do a, a, a search for Waltz with Bashir. Uh, there's a song 
uh, I forget what, I think it's like breakfast in Beirut or something like that, uh, where he, 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 he just makes fun of, of he, he calls out the Israeli government for allowing the, um, the Palestinians to have been killed by the uh, local Christians um, and uh, in particular Begin and, and Sharon. Uh, he then went on and made a film with Robin Wright called The Congress, which was half animated, uh, which was an, about her biography. And it's if you're a Robin Wright fan, you have to see it. If you're a fan of good filmmaking, you have to not see it. Uh, but uh, it's interesting, uh, for and and I think it was and it was made before her big. House of uh, House of Cards lights. I was confused though. Cards, yeah. He he then he started to uh, he he made he just made this horrible animated film called Where Is Anne Frank, um, which I'm not going to get into here, but I will talk about Made in Israel, his first great film, which the premise is that it's so far in the future that Israel has signed a peace treaty with Syria. And as part of the peace treaty, they're turning over the last Nazi. And it's the, in the middle of winter on the snowy Golan Heights and the Israeli police take him. And the rest of the film is about whether this Nazi is going to make it back, make it to Jerusalem to even stand trial. Or if the Israelis have had enough of this and they're just going to vigilantes are just going to kill him along the way. Uh, it's a great cast. It's beautifully shot. They have Israeli uh, um, radio uh, giving updates about the status of him. So that's it, it, it basically narrates it. There's one scene in particular where the Nazi is taken to um, a diner to eat and he uh, and it's it's they speak English in the diner, and um, he says he, he goes to order, and he's the, the owner says we're not going to feed this Nazi, and the commandant the Israeli uh, the Israeli policeman says, you see, sir, the Nazi has to eat. This is justice, law, and order made in Israel. Even Nazi convicts get their meal. He wants a double cheeseburger with two eggs on top, bacon and sausage, and a big pile of fries, and mayonnaise, and a large Coke with ice, no lemon. And he says, what are you going to eat? And he says, just coffee. So uh, the, the dialogue is great. The film is great. Uh, and how it ends is uh, poetic, as, as are all perpetrator films. They are poetic, uh, if they're done right. The next film is one of the most uh, famous of all, well, it's 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 probably the greatest cult film ever made. Uh, it's called Harold and Maude from 1971. Most people don't know that it's a Holocaust survivor film, but it is. Uh, it was made by the great Hal Ashby, who did not make a lot of films. But if you search on IMDb for non-animated comedies made from 1967 
until 2013 with a user rating of at least eight and at least 10,000 votes. Only 16 feature films are listed and two of them are Hal Ashby's. That would be Being There and Harold and Maude. And Being There, by the way, is my favorite film of any kind ever made. I think it is the greatest film ever made. Uh, Harold and Maude is about a woman who is about to turn 80. And uh, she finds herself in a relationship with a boy who is twenty twenty one, And uh, it's uncomfortable in many ways. It's not as uncomfortable as it could have been. Uh, the way it was shot, Paramount cut out some things, thankfully. Uh, but two thirds of the way through the film, for a half second, we find out, we, we learn, we see the tattoo, the Auschwitz tattoo on Maud's arm. Uh, and that frames it. She lives in a train car and she talks about her time in, as a child in Vienna and with wistfulness. And they don't dwell on her being a survivor. But she clearly is, uh, although there are many people who, who, who have a problem with that. I, I don't. Uh, um, that is, they, they find it unbelievable, but it isn't. Uh, and, and, and she even talks about Alfred Dreyfus uh, on Devil's Island, uh, right as her tattoo is revealed. Uh, it stars the great Ruth Gordon, who... Uh, just before that had uh, been in Rosemary's Baby and basically plays kind of the same character. Um, and most people don't know about Ruth Gordon, that she won an Academy Award uh, for writing um, Adam's Rib. Uh, and she died recently. She was she was great, and uh, Bud Court was great, um, and I'm sure you have comments about Harold and Maude. Well, what's interesting is when the film came out, it became, I want to use the word cult, although it was popular, but I mean, it became a, one of those films that for the period, people were really drawn to it. I remember when it came out, and I know a lot of folks uh, forget, you know, the the the, the Holocaust aspect of it. It was it was a favorite film of a lot of people, and that must have somehow, it must have rang true to them in many ways because I know it was very popular among groups of people as far as being so well made and also such a good film overall. Well, it was incredibly subversive, and uh, most of Ashby's films were subversive. Uh, Coming home and and uh, and and. He, he also did uh, the uh, the uh, Woody Guthrie story uh, Bound and for Glory. Bound for Glory and and being uh, there too I mean, and being and, and being there is is uh, if you want an explanation about how America is America, see being there. Um, but, how you how to become an influencer in 
in two easy lessons. <laughs> yeah. Have people mistake who you are and take everything you say as gospel. How an idiot can become president of the United States uh, is th that's that's what the film is about. Uh, at the very end, you know, that's what that's what happens, uh, and uh, or implied will happen. It, it's transcendent. Uh, I, the, the, the conversation shouldn't be about being there, but I, I, right. I, but I think I, it, I encourage it, it, it shows Hal Ashby's talent as, as the, for the types of films he liked to make. So no, it, it, it and Harold and Maude is in that same vein as far as just as you use the word subversive. And I think that's a good word. And, 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 but see being there just for the fun of it, I encourage everybody to see it. And, and, and that last scene is, um, it, it's like, the frogs dropping in Magnolia. Just it's just like it's just jaw, jaw dropping. What happens? Uh, all right. The next film uh, is called The Birch Tree Meadow, um, and it's a French film uh, made by a, a, a survivor named named uh, I can't even pronounce her name, but she she was uh, obviously she she died in two thousand eighteen. But the but it stars this famous French actress named, and again I won't say it right, Anouk Ami, uh, whose real name was Nicole Francoise Florence Dreyfus. Right. Okay, uh, who who you would know from uh, eight eight and a half from from Fellini's Eight and a Half La Doce, but also uh, in La Roche's uh, La Loche's, uh, A Man and a Woman, and she was the first woman first actress nominated for a French speaking role. And if you see a man and a woman, you'll fall in love and you'll never fall out of love. She was, you've seen it, I assume. You're, you're muted, I think. Yes, I did see it. Sorry about that. I, yeah. I've been trying to shut off my mic in case there's noise on my end so that we don't, uh, so that I don't have to edit it later. So I'll ask the question again. So I'm sure you've seen that film. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and, and so she, so later in life, this this uh, woman, this Jewish woman, uh, the actress, uh, not as in playing, she's playing the, this part, goes back to Birkenau to confront what has happened to her alone, but she she walks, uh, she she slips through the the gate. She's 70, 60, 70 years old. She slips through. The barbed wire, and uh, and and she deals with it. And as opposed to any other survivor film, she deals head on with being a survivor. I, I have written that with this film made in two thousand three, The Birch Tree Meadow. No other Holocaust survivor film ever had to be made because this actually gets right to the point. At one point. She goes back to her um, childhood home, and uh, there's obviously somebody Polish that's living there, a young a, a young wife, and the the immediate reaction is, uh, no, we own this. This is ours. <laughs> We've always owned this. This has been in my family forever, and uh, the survivor pulls out a, a picture of her father standing next to the fireplace the same fireplace with the same vase on the hearth. <laughs> so beautifully made. Uh, 
it, it, it is, um, it's a test, a testament to that you can make great film without, uh, without a, a, a billion effects of, and, and, and all kinds of subterfuge and, uh, and A, B, C, D, E, F plots. You just get in there and you make a great film. And, and they did that. Uh, and almost nobody has ever seen this. It, it's, it, but it, 129 people have, have rated it on IMDb. Uh, but it needs to be seen. Well, it, that's the good thing about so many of the films that you've given here. There, many of them are not as well known and deserve to be. So that's great that we've got a mixture of some that people have probably heard of and some that many people probably may have heard of. But hopefully, um, the continuing, you know, these lists are great because they're giving us all something to think about and to, to look for. The next film is very surprising, and everybody can get to this film, uh, uh, it's astoundingly beautiful. It, it's called This Must Be the Place, 2011. And it stars Sean Penn and Francis McDormand and Bono's daughter and Judd Hirsch and Harry Dean Stanton and so many other people. And, uh, and the music was done by David Byrne of Talking Heads. And it's based on Talking Heads song, This Must Be the Place. And David Byrne is in it. And in it, Sean Penn plays uh, a, a, rock, a, rock, a retired rock star uh, who has, wears lipstick and has black hair, like uh, what's his name, Smith from the uh, whatchamacallits. Uh, and Robert, the cures, the cures Robert Smith. Uh, and so he lives in this affectation of, with, with hair that shouldn't be the way it is and lipstick and painted face. And he lives in Ireland. Uh, and you don't even know it's a Holocaust film. You, you don't even suspect that there's anything that it, that it could be, that could be a Holocaust film until he receives news that his Holocaust survivor father has, is dying in New York. And uh, he, uh, he then goes and his father is dead by the time he gets there. And he, he doesn't know anything about the Holocaust. He learns quickly. And then he goes off to avenge the person who tormented his father at Auschwitz. And um, the cinematography is as beautiful as anything I've ever seen. It was done by an Italian director named Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, it's it's actually a not an American film. It's Italian, French, and Irish. Uh, and uh, for anybody who loves Sean Penn, you, you'll this will be your this will be your lasting memory of him. This character that he plays here, I, I can't ever see anything without thinking of, of his uh, character in this. And Francis McDormand is her usual, uh, just, she, she's, she's uh, quirky and uh, delightful in every way. Uh, and, and then you get to see these other actors who you'll recognize. One of them uh, plays the daughter in, uh, in, in Better Call Saul, plays uh, 
what the 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 fixer's daughter you'll recognize her from that and there are people who work it, it it's so much fun uh and uh and and the justice that you're looking for is the right justice in this film it's good that we get different styles of films too in this list cuz you know it's something like this which probably like once again maybe people haven't seen or haven't don't know of got a different tone than some of the other films which i really think is so great about this list is that it's all over the place which makes it easier to watch them for to be honest with you i think there's a limit to how many in a row you could watch of a certain style so it's great that uh we go so many different ways so now we're going to move into the pure farce um which a film a a, a british U, u.s film from 1993 called Genghis Cohen. Again, very hard to find, but uh, well worth it. The premise of this 1993 film is that a Nazi commander played by Robert Lindsay, a pretty famous British actor, um, is in Eastern Europe and he's going to kill a uh, Jew, who is a stand-up comedian played by Anthony Scher, who was in several other Holocaust films and uh, is um, uh, uh, has never disappointed. In this one, uh, just before Anthony Scher is killed, he says to the uh, German in Yiddish, kiss my ass. And um, then we flash forward to the 1950s and the German is the police commissioner in a small German town. And he uh, is a womanizer, uh, the auto shots. And, uh, and, and this is the, like in, in the People versus Fritz Bauer, there's a strong, um, there's strong notes about the um, infiltration of uh, of the comp- how East Ger- West German bureaucracy had been compromised by Nazis. Here, uh, Anthony Scher's character uh, returns as a ghost and increasingly torments this German to the point where the German even converts to Judaism. It is hilarious. It is when you when you look at badly made Holocaust comedies like um, Jacob the Liar uh, or unfortunate films like Life is Beautiful or Jojo Rabbit. uh, And then you see that there are a dozen good Holocaust comedies. It it gives hope, (laughs) gives me hope. And, uh, And so you just see the spiral of this auto shot. Uh, and you feel vindicated by uh, by it and, and by what happens. Uh, and so get your hands on it. I bought it. I bought a VHS copy off of eBay and digitized it. Uh, so you can find it. It's just tough. Uh, and the final the final film that I have, which I know everybody everybody has on the tip of their tongue, a film. 
they all say, what about, what about? And we already talked, we already said it's not going to be Schindler's List. Uh, and it's obviously not The Boy in the Striped Pajamas or The Reader, uh, uh, which I detest. Uh, and um, I can't think of any other famous films except for this film, which was made in 2009 by an unknown filmmaker named Quentin Tarantino called Glorious Bastards. Which is what I figured it was going to be, but, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to rain on your, you know, to jump the gun on it, but I figured it was going to be. You talk about that film a lot, so uh, we talked about it in your previous interview, too, so I know it's a movie that, that, that is important to you. Well, you know, it's important to me, uh, it, it, of all the films on this list, it's the least important, I have to say. It, it has to be included because it is it, it, it is so well-made and it is so fun, uh, but it's less important than any of these and, and it says less than any of these other films, but it's delicious. And it's, it, it's just, it's a dessert. It's what you do at the end of a meal. You watch this, you watch Hitler being killed in a, in a movie theater and you just have this and you watch Nazis being scalped and you, you, you see, you, you, it's, it's, it's wish fulfillment. The entire film is just getting what you wanted out of the story and, um, and seeing a filmmaker uh, who is unrestrained over-the-top. Most people describe Quentin Tarantino as an over-the-top filmmaker, and I think this is an example along with uh, many of his other films, but I think you've got it exactly right. But he, his contempt for the Germans and what he's willing to say in, in this film is he basically says, screw it. I mean, I'm not going to be PC here. I'm going to... I'm going to uh, I'm going to make the Germans like Christopher Waltz look as as mean and vicious and scary, uh, smarmy. Uh, I'm going to uh, just take these people. And and the the fascinating part of uh, of this film is that most people think that it's completely fictional, and it's not. The 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 uh, the the inspiration of the film was a, a an American a, a secret American uh, group of soldiers called the Ritchie Boys, who trained at Fort Ritchie uh, in I think Maryland or Virginia. Right. It, it was Maryland. I, Maryland. I happened to know yeah. all about them because sixty minutes here in the United States ran a story a few months ago, and yes, last week they ran a whole hour about the Ritchie boys. So, uh, oh. of course, unfortunately never mentioned that it had anything, which is too bad, but I'm, I, the, it's good to know that there was that, that group, which deserves all the praise that they're getting now because of 60 Minutes uh, continue. There's still a few of them even left. So it was, it was 15,000 German-speaking American soldiers. Many of them Jews. Uh, 20... 20 I'll start over. It was 15,000 American-speaking German soldiers. Uh, excuse me. I'm going to start over one more time. Take 
It was a group of 15,000 German-speaking American soldiers who were brought together to interrogate Germans. They were, they were trained at Fort Ritchie. 2,200 of them were Jewish, mostly from Germany and Austria. And there are two documentaries about them, one of them called The Ritchie Boys in 2004, and another one called About Face, the story of the Jewish refugee soldiers of World War II in 2005. The uh, alumni of the Ritchie Boys <laughs> included uh, what the, the most famous one was J.D. Salinger, who most people didn't even know was Jewish. After Franny and Zoe, I don't know how you could think he was. But, uh, but uh, so there was a kernel of truth to this, although they weren't vigilantes. They were just interrogators. But uh, Tarantino did Tarantino. There are people who object to this film because it's so unrealistic. And as I've said before, if you walk into any Tarantino film, whether it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or uh, Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction or uh, Inglourious Bastards, and you think you're viewing history, then you're the moron. Uh, and your expectations, uh, it's, like at, it's like being disappointed that you're not getting uh, a filet mignon when you go to McDonald's. That's not what they're serving. So you go in there and you enjoy it, and that should be all there is to it. Uh, and and uh, I have nothing but admiration for what he did in that film. Yeah, the Ritchie boys is such an interesting story, partly because some of them did go over before the war was over and actually performed their work while the war was going on, but they also performed an unbelievably useful task in post-war where they were able to um, help with the prosecution and the discovery and all the information about what went on during the Holocaust, during the war itself. So those are, uh, those are the, the films in order. Uh, and... Um... It, it it did get lighter. It got dark, very dark, and then much lighter. Well, this is what I say, you know, I've mentioned it in the middle a couple times probably, that it is great that, unfortunately, as a topic, I could see how the average person who doesn't really, un, doesn't know of some of these films would think would be a, a tough subject to um, to cover or to review. And yet, as we know, people did, luckily there were survivors that we have told the stories, and therefore we do see signs of of triumph or improvement. And also, we've seen some of these films have that bring to justice idea, which is so great. It gives us a better, a more complete view rather than discussing, you know, oh, we saved a few or here or there. So it, it's it's a great list for a variety of reasons, most so because it's so wide-ranging in tone and topic. Well, it was a pleasure doing it, uh, and uh, I'm happy to um, discuss any of the other uh, films or any film uh, for hours at a time, as you can tell. Yeah, I know when we were talking about doing uh, this, I, you said that to me and I said, well, let's not go for hours only because we want, you know, 
it, it worked the way it was, but uh, it, it's great to, the more information people have, and once again, I'll mention this for college and even lower level teachers who are looking for ways to 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 talk to students about the Holocaust and, and related topics that films are often used, as we talked about even in your first interview, and, and we it's useful to have others to choose from. I do want to, I do, th- there is an honorable mention uh, that I, 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 I was going to ask if you had mention, any you wanted uh, to put there. Honorably, uh, that, that didn't make the, even the top 50 list, but I, I feel guilty every time I, I ignore it. Uh, and it's called Gloomy Sunday. <clears throat> um, it's, it's a story about uh, a, a restaurant owner in Budapest during the war and his um, lover uh, and who's, who's this, you'd recognize the actress. She's gorgeous. She was also in, um, in, in Jacob the Liar. And uh, and another person who was a piano player and the, the, the tryst that they all had together and the song, this famous song that was recorded by uh, Elvis Costello and Billie Holiday and a million people called Gloomy Sunday. So it's loosely based on that song, this real song. And uh, more interestingly, about a, a, a German named uh, Betcher who... Um, was a real person who um, commanded, who, who, who was in charge of Budapest during, toward the end of the war and was bribed to uh, free Jews. And whether or not he was uh, a hero uh, is in question. Uh, by a lot of people, and after the war, he 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 became a multi a, a multinational uh, hero. And uh, it's not the only film that was written that that had uh, him as a character, and he has figured into Israeli uh, history too. Um, but uh, it, it's it's a beautifully made film. Uh, you you do not want to watch this with children, but uh, it, it, it's so uh, it, it's so beautifully made, and the music is great. That I, gloomy Sunday, I also uh, recommend. Well, obviously you have many films, uh, as we already talked about your book, Holocaust Cinema Complete: A History and Analysis of 400 Films with a Teaching Guide, Rich Brownstein, um, and the website HolocaustFilms.com. Um, obviously the 400 films, they're not all good ones. And that's why you put the list, you, you did this in the first place to try to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, to be biblical there for a minute. But, uh, many of them are great and it's, it's worth reaching out to the book just because, um, to get a better sense of, uh, of your point of view on these, as we've talked about both this interview and, and the last one. Some of the ones the average person might think would be on the list aren't for good reason, and you discuss that quite a bit. And there's a number you've done a number of interviews. You've got a lot of videos out there in which you discuss this further. So it's just great to have this kind of uh, of information and and details for people who are trying to cover this subject and or learn more about this topic and and other ways to do it. Well, it was a pleasure to to be on 
uh, your show both times, and you're a very uh, uh, gracious, generous host, uh, and uh, uh, you make me feel like a scholar. Uh, so I, I, I get to do that for a few minutes with you. So thank you for that. Well, as I say, good luck on um, uh, as you go forward with this. I know you told me earlier today that you just uh, have found out that you're going to be um, feted as uh, uh, by the Israel. Um, sorry, I'm messing that up. Uh, National Library of Israel. Right, the National Library of Israel on uh, January 27th, or excuse me, 24th. And it's great that. Uh, we have a chance to talk a little bit more about what was what I think is probably one of the more important subjects when it comes to films and, and learning history from film. Thank you, Joel. My great thanks to Rich Brownstein for his list. Most of the films are available from various sources, and I hope you have time to watch as many of them as possible. This is Joel Cherney, and I will be back soon with more new books and film a podcast series on the New Books Network.